Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. management that's what people love at the moment isn't it time management and you get all those people that are um right i don't want to procrastinate anymore so i'm going to like read books on how to not to procrastinate it's like well you could uh probably spend your time not reading those books and do (laughs) do your work people have found a good niche like write a book of procrastinating and people want to read it but reading a book on procrastinating is procrastinating and not a not a constructive procrastination it's not something no. you can learn, something random that could be quite fun. No, just just get on and do it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just just smash it out. And that's yeah. what we're doing here because now it's season two. That's it. Season two, the progress theory, made some changes. Uh, and yeah, well, come on, let's I'll, I'll introduce everyone. Yeah. Season two is a little bit different because um, Freddie is taking a bit of a break. Uh, it looks like He's going to have to go to Milan as well, uh, or again, to do some work uh, over there for about three weeks. So over season one, he obviously, it changed his training because of um, being over in Milan. He couldn't train as much as he, he possibly could. And he, if he, you know, tackles a tackles a challenge, he wants to go full head on. He didn't think he could give season two as much attention as he wanted to. So he's taken just a bit of a step back, but he will be back for season three. Um but who we have now, we've got the big man himself, Daryl Green. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Oh, hi, Phil. Thanks for inviting me for this uh, season. I'm quite looking forward to this one. Um, yeah, so I'm Daryl Green is my name. Uh, I actually coach at the moment. So I'm a coach. I've been coaching for about, if you include my time in the Army as a PTI, about coming up to nearly 10 years now, to be honest. It'd be really close to that. So, um, yeah, so back onto the army. I joined the army when I was 17, served about eight years in the Princess of Wales War Regiment. Three, a couple of years into that, went on the PTI course and I've been hooked on fitness ever since. So, um, and then from there, towards the end of my career, found CrossFit, started competing in CrossFit. And um, you were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, not too bad. I don't want to blow my own trumpet and all that, but Mate, yeah, I've managed, my guest. I've managed to, um, I've competed across Europe in a few competitions, um, Athens being one of them in Romania, um, a few around the UK, won a couple, fell short on a couple, but that's just the way it goes. Um, and CrossFit was actually how I met Phil, um, in the CrossFit yeah. in Portsmouth, um, where we got together and we started, I started running some competitor training classes and Phil come and jumped on and then we just become good friends from there. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. So I obviously moved down to Hailing Island to be with my now wife and she said, oh, um, I was interested in to see, you know, what sports were around, what gyms were available uh, and I was actually quite keen on getting involved with CrossFit at the time, it just interested me and Hayley goes, oh, as an old friend from school that works at the um, was it CrossFit Portsea Island, wasn't it, at the yeah. time? And, and, and I looked on the website, found you, and found you did those competition classes on a, on, a, on a Saturday. So I sent you a message, and you replied, yeah, great, mate. Um, it's not on this weekend. I'm in my beefer. <laughs> remember that one? So I was like, cool, I'll meet you next week. It must have been a, such yeah. a keno. And then turned up for the competition class. You must have think, who is this bellend? That's just turned up proper keen <laughs> was terrible and probably still is, but yeah, we've been um, training on and off 
for quite some time since then, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, yeah, so any any time we really get now, so obviously you're busy at the uni and mm. I'm busy coaching. So when we're always in contact and when we find a slot we can get in together, we always do. Yeah, yeah. So whenever whenever our schedules align, it seems, and you've moved around a little bit as well since then in the different gyms and uh, yeah, I've been, yeah, a couple of training. Mate, it's good. And ever since Progress Theory, you've uh, you've been uh, interested in the project and sort of started your own things, haven't you? Like, um, obviously, we've got season two project, but you've also got a few other bits which we'll probably talk about as well um, regarding yeah. the fifty fifty fifty, all sorts of things. Like, um, well, you've just done an ultra, haven't you? Yeah, just for, yeah, an ultra. How was um, that? Really hard. Really underestimated that. Um, I think I mainly I underestimated the hills because it was in the Peak District. Yeah. So there was a I can't remember off the top of my head, but over a thousand meters of elevation during the run, which was and it the terrain was horrendous, like loose boulders on half of it. Where, which were okay for the first 20k but then once once fatigue sets in and you just as you just lose a bit of yourself and hmm. get tired and you, you, you're not as fast to catch yourself if you were to trip and so yeah it, it got real painful um how, so that was 50k how how long did you do it in it took me six hours and 52 minutes to do that um, jesus that's a long time to run you didn't have any breaks. You just carried on through because you sent me the link where I could track you. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, no, I didn't really break. I stopped at a checkpoint at like 28K to fill up my um, water pack and have a little bit of food. But other than that, no, I didn't really stop. I was always moving, whether that sometimes I was walking. Um Sometimes I was getting super stressed out because I'm like, why can I just not keep going? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was tough, but there was no way I was not going to complete it. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's always thinking, a point in time of those things where it comes to a point where it's, okay, I had my original goal. Screw that. It's all about completing it. And you have such a sense of like, because I reckon a lot of the stress on top of all the physical stress is knowing that uh, I originally set that target for myself. Yeah. And as soon as you kind of succumb to that target, it's like, no, 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 you sort of, um, it's not going to happen. So I'm going to, I'm going to change my goals as I go along. Like it makes it a little bit easier. You're like, okay, screw it. I'm going to go do this. And you start to relax and that allows you to sort of maintain a new pace, but a more comfortable pace. Um, I think it's, it's, it's amazing how the mindset can quickly change once you sort of succumb to new goals. Oh yeah, completely. Um, but I'm I'm really uh, I don't know being a competitor, like I get I'm, I am really hard on myself when it comes to stuff like that. So like a really critical, self-critical, big time. Like well, so when I passed my target, my target was actually f under five hours fifteen, which is I look back at it now and I'm like it's just madness with the hills. I only trained around Portsmouth which was flat. Yeah, I didn't run no more than. Uh, I think 25k in training. I didn't really want to, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I was I was putting that out at two hours, like 25k in two hours, and I felt all right, felt good. I was like, yeah, I could get another 25 in three hours. <laughs> but add adding that elevation, and it totally ripped me off. <laughs> well, they always say that the hitting the wall comes at that what so a marathon is about 42k isn't it yeah and I, I know that the, the hitting the wall situation can suddenly happen kind of any time but they say it's like in those last few miles leading towards the end um i mean with an ultra you have to really sort of <laughs> ignore that because you've got so much further to go well 8k but yeah well i am um... I mean, one of the one of the inclines. This was well. This was far into it as well. I think it's like thirty-four k in. I was. This was quite. I was struggling here. I, I was on my all fours having to crawl up this hill because it was that steep. So mm. it's like, what am I doing? 
mate. Well, you knew that if I was in your situation, I'd be on all fours coming downhill as well. So yeah. you did much better than much better than I would do. Yeah. Which kind of kind of leads into our aim for season two, doesn't it? Um, yeah, you certainly are better prepared for it than I am. But uh, just to give a bit of background as to how season two came about, because season one was all about me and Freddie did the five and ten k, and we tried to aim to get under 20 minutes and under 40 minutes. Uh, so it was a very much like a running based uh, season where we focused on sort of determinants of running performance. Then we looked in different factors which can influence programming. What kind of programming would we do and why? Uh, we looked at S&C for uh, running as well. Um, and I got a few messages from people, one enjoying the podcast, but two, they started to go, what about concurrent training because I want to do all these like uh, long distance events like marathons or ultras but I don't want to lose any strength I still want to be pretty good in the gym so if you've got any information on that and it just got me thinking um, more and more people are leading towards that kind of challenge because one yeah people you know they're not going to be elite I'd say in specific sports they they train because they love it, but at the same time, they want to hit really good goals and they want to hit that will be a bit more of a generalist. And what's more of a generalist than being able to like be able to do long distance events, but at the same time, be very strong. So that led into the ideas for season two. Um, <laughs> and it's been great to know that I'm going to get under a barbell again, because I've definitely missed that from season one. Um, but what we have decided... Ours are slightly different, but it is a challenge where you have to have some form of what's known as concurrent training. So you'll be training for an endurance event at the same time as training for a strength event. So I'll, I'll say mine. Uh, so I'm aiming for a four-hour marathon. Bearing in mind, I've not done a marathon before, but a four-hour marathon. And at the same time, I'm going to increase... Uh, four strength lifts, hopefully by around 10%. So those lifts are the front squat, the deadlift, uh, the strict overhead barbell press, like a military press, and uh, the weighted pull-up. So those, those are my four. So yeah, get stronger at those by 10% and a four-hour marathon and do that within 11 weeks. And, and yours is? So yeah, my I'm doing the same marathon goal as Phil, so I'm going to do a four-hour marathon. But my strength event is a, is slightly different, so I'm going to attempt to hit a 120 kilo snatch, um, as well as run a four-hour marathon. So it's only one lift compared to Phil's three, four, four lifts. Four lifts, yeah. Um, but two of them are upper body, so let's let's say that um, <laughs> that might help me a little bit. Um, but what I like about the differences between our two challenges is you've got one where you need to be able to, yeah, be strong, but you need to be able to produce force very quickly to get the bar overhead. Uh, mine's very much like I can grind it out very slowly if I needed to. So the the adaptations and the yeah. physical qualities needed for those two things are different. So we can always see how, not necessarily training might have, to, they're going to be different, but there might be key things that are very similar, but it might be interesting to look at what the literature says between different strength training modalities and how they are affected by concurrent training. Um, we were discussing when to do it, weren't we? So yeah. we've already started training, but it looks like we're going to be doing it at the weekend of the 19th to 20th of December. Yeah. And originally we thought maybe we'd do it on two separate days because one, the, the, the Portsmouth Marathon is on the 20th of December. However, with all of the cancellations due to COVID, it might make sense to maybe create our own, our own marathon, our own route, just to make sure that we're not reliant on another third party and running it. So if we did our own route, we can then say that we can start any time. So we may do it on both, may do both on the same day. Yeah, that's, 
I mean, it may be wise if, if we're going to rely on Portsmouth Marathon to go ahead. Um, we can do it on the Saturday before, make sure the route's all right. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I, I have actually run that marathon. Yeah. Like years ago now. Um, Is it flat? It's flat, yeah. Um, that is so key for me. You you start at the pyramids. Mm-hmm. You run all the way to the start of the Hail and Billy Trail. Okay, and back, yeah. And back. Oh, really? Yeah, that is the mar- that is that Portsmouth. It's nice. It's just up the road because we're going to have to get some uh, <coughs> race specific training in to yeah. uh, test out the race. The test at the race course. I'm I'm very happy it's flat uh, because the pace we'll need to maintain for a four hour marathon is it five five minutes forty two oh, per yeah. kilometer? Five forty two. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that is, you know, it's easier to maintain a certain pace if it's flat. Like if as soon as you start getting hills, you're going to be slow up the hill, and then you're going to be faster on the way down. And to try and find sort of like a <laughs> and maintain pace is much more difficult. And when you're not as experienced in long distance running as I am, taking that out of the equation might be quite beneficial for me. And also you've got the constant spikes in heart rate going uphill, coming back down or decreasing and then up and down. That can only go on for so long, right? Mm. Um, You can't maintain some form of heart rate zone, don't you? Yeah. We could have the wind though. That's being us on the coast. It's, that's the only thing. Mm. Um, right. I felt the full force of the the wind <laughs> in the five k trial. <laughs> it yeah. felt like you were running through mud, and then because you spent all that energy trying to get through the wind, coming on on the way round back from that, I was just, I was just absolutely blowing. So yeah. my heart rate must have been like that, and all I was all I was doing was running around a track for the five k. But but it felt like intervals. It did, yeah. It certainly did. So. That's our challenge. How, how, how do you think is, it's going to go for you? Um, what are you most worried about, would you say? Which, is it the four-hour marathon or is it the 120 snatch? Or is it both because training for both is, is difficult? Um, but both in, in, in the terms of that, like it's going to be, training for both is going to be very difficult. Um, uh, it's going to take a lot of delicate programming should I say to, to mm. get it just right um, I think I'm just just going to have to manage that really well by tracking times and weights lifted over over each week and, and, and adjustments needed on that um, but I I'm probably more worried about the snatch mm-hmm. uh, because it's quite yeah, it's really challenging. That is 120 kilo snatch is is really hard for anyone, let alone someone that's training for a marathon alongside. Hmm. I would feel that be, would that be a brand new PB ever? Yes, yes. I have attempted 120 and I failed it. Um, this was at a CrossFit comp a year ago. This was hmm. my goal for the rest of this year was to hit a 120 snatch um, by the end of this year. But now with some added endurance events and challenges added in, I thought it's, it sounds quite good to jump in this with you and do, do it, but do it all um, or yeah. attempt to do it anyway. I uh, want everything. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so with with a four-hour marathon, I feel personally myself, I can I could get that done. I could just like drag drag myself around that and make sure that happens. Mm. Um, I hope I'm. I don't need to get to that point where I haven't to drag myself around it. But I hope I'm very comfortable running around it. But I. So that's that's why the snatches, as well as it being a a very skill skillful and technical lift, um, and it it's li- it's totally the opposite end of the training, hmm. um, let's say scale, mm. Olymp- Olympic lifting, power, power 
movement, force development. It's got to be really fast, whereas running a marathon, it's less. So yeah. So I'd say overall, then I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm not worried about it. I'm excited to attempt this, but um, it is going to be difficult, and mm. it, that excites me. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't difficult. It wouldn't be a challenge. <laughs> it would just be well, we could do it next week. So that's the that's the exciting bit and figuring out what the best way would be to train for it um but i think i'm in a bit of a different boat to you and i think a lot of it is all down to what we've done before so for example you've done an ultra you've done one or two marathons as well so you've experienced that so you have a rough time a rough idea of how you can perform in those environments Whereas I've never done more than a half marathon, which I've done twice, I believe. One was a Spartan. So it was kind of not the same because you're sort of stopping, doing obstacles and did it around uh, quite leisurely. So that's going to be a completely new territory going above 21K. Um, And my body just doesn't seem to be able to like to bounce for that long. Like it's no secret I've had four knee surgeries and I tend to break a little bit more easily unfortunately (laughs) so this means that a lot of decisions I make when it comes to training is to try and make sure I keep training so I could do this I could do that so yeah I could push myself that little bit more but is it worth it because I could you know get a niggle in two weeks time and then all of a sudden I'm not training Um, and then that's what's going to stop me you haven't got enough time to get niggles in 10 weeks or 11 weeks so that's really quite key for me. So I don't know how I'm going to do, but I'm, I'm enjoying already having kind of two paces, my easy pace and my race pace, which the race pace is that 5.42 and just getting used to uh, bounce along at that pace for longer periods of time. And hopefully by mixing the two, I would have the right um, physiological and mechanical qualities, which will help me through that uh that marathon the strength stuff because i'm more familiar with it i'm a little bit more comfortable with and i think when we've discussed it it was going to be done at the beginning of the day so the marathon would be the afternoon so the other way around i would not want to do a one rep max front squat after doing a marathon not a chance so obviously we're doing the strength stuff in the morning and the marathon in the afternoon um However, each strength component, I think, is going to be different uh, because we did the retesting, didn't we? We did a we did a pre-intervention testing just to see where we're at now. And if I'm trying to aim for a ten percent increase, I need to get more than ten percent of those values. Um, and some of the values I got are lower than scores that I've got ever. So, for example. My deadlift, my max deadlift ever is 220. However, what happened, which I'm not too proud of, but what happened on the uh, the testing at the weekend, I got 190 and failed 200. Now, I did the test, the deadlift stuff about 15 minutes after I tested my front squat. <laughs> my, my back was ringing. And as soon as I started warming up for the deadlift, I was like, oh, this isn't going to go too well. But I just didn't have enough time. I'm not too worried about that. I know I can do better than that. So I'm not too worried about deadlift because I've been higher before. Uh, I've actually been higher this year. I got 205 not too long ago. So that doesn't worry me. Front squat, little different. I managed to PR my best front squat ever, um, which I was quite happy with. It looked ugly as fuck, but okay I, I managed to squeeze out a 150 front squat which i was quite happy with um but like i said i've never been higher than that so you've got one strength exercise where okay i'm going to try and improve by 10 percent, but i've been 10 percent higher before whereas the other one it's 10 percent into new territory uh and i reckon it could be possible i think it would be hard anyway even if you weren't training for a marathon but um well, why not? Let's just see how it goes. Yeah. I, I think the only thing that worries me, I think I'm going to PB uh, uh, on most things, but whether it's that 10%, I'm, I'm not sure. However, you know, fuck it, let's go for it. The upper body stuff, um, 
is a similar thing. Like I don't think I've done a strict overhead press with a barbell from a like full front rack position, not like when you're holding it up by your chin. Um, I don't think I've done more than 80 before. So that's kind of like a max. Uh, and then the pull up, I did 50 around my waist. Now, for some reason, I seem to be quite good at weighted pull-ups. I've done a 71 kilo pull-up before, and I weighed 95 kilos. So I've, I've pulled up more, a lot more than what I've done. And I kind of did that 50 kilos uh, in three attempts. That's all I had. Because we had to, remember, we were doing the testing. We had to move into a different position. So yeah, yeah. I had to do the, the, I had to do the pull-ups in about five minutes. <laughs> So I got 50 and I thought, okay, right. That was more tough than I thought because the pull-up is the one thing that I haven't really had a chance to work on because of COVID. And I only until now I've got access to a pull-up bar. So um, I haven't really worked on it. So it's rusty AF. So obviously there's differences in how I perceive I'm going to do because of experience that I've got. Um <laughs> We'll find yeah. out. Yeah, I guess that's similar similar with my snatch because it's going to be a... I'm going to be going for an all-time best. Yeah. I think I've never lifted before, so maybe that's why it scares me a little bit. And with my test, I only managed 107 and a half on the Saturday. Mm. Uh, what should we be? 115? 115, yeah. Okay. But now... But I've come out of a real strong endurance block only mm. and to still be able to hit above 90% of my of my all-time best I'm quite happy with that I'm quite that so I'm not disheartened that that test didn't go very well like mm. it was around where I was thinking it was going to be to be honest so it, it was a week after your your ultra right uh two weeks two weeks yeah two weeks after the ultra and for three months prior to that, I've probably snatched a handful of times if that mm. and not gone anywhere near that load. Um, so yeah, it was, it was nice too. Mm. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, our previous training block would probably uh, give some insight into how well we do in this block because like you're less worried about the marathon yeah. yes you've got experience in the marathon but at the same time you've just come through an, a quite a strong endurance block so hence you're not as anxious about that side um, and then you've got me who did eight weeks of training for the 5k now you might think the 5k and marathon are very different but when you're coming from someone that's has not much experience in in long distance running uh, I think I needed that eight weeks um, of running training. I think without that, I would be in an even worse position. I certainly would be in an even worse position. And some of the training I did then is going to influence what I focus on now. So for example, I've already mentioned about two paces I'm, I'm considering working on largely because of qualities that I want and um, weaknesses I need to, to work on but I, I, I probably won't do too much in the, the sense of like above lactate threshold pace runs because I've done that work in the eight weeks prior to the starting trying to fit all of that in now is likely to break so I'm kind of like okay that's where I've got physical adaptations for faster running previously and I'm going to hopefully try and carry those over to my next block as much as I can possibly possibly yeah but we'll find out <laughs> that sounds it sounds about right how many runs have you got planned then? uh i mean we'll probably have a, a podcast that will go into detail as to exact yeah, yeah, for us. Yeah. but um i like you said you were i mean it's concurrent training so you kind of have to do the minimum amount but the minimum amount has to be enough to make significant changes yeah has and to be quality else, right yeah, anything else is just going to be unnecessary added stress. So at the moment, I'm looking at around four, no, three runs a week, each one uh, varying in duration and purpose. Yeah. 
whether I change that and increase to four, um, will I'm going to play it by ear. Yeah, I think that's that's probably with concurrent training. That's a very important thing that we need that needs to be bared in mind that mm. it, it has to be monitored very carefully. You have to use the data that you're you're receiving from your training, mm. and well, I think every training should be should be following the data that you're getting anyway. But I, I feel like I, I can't plan too. I can't plan more than a week ahead. I have a rough guide, but there'll be adjustments um, when they're needed to be. Yeah, auto regulation's key, isn't it? Yeah, I'd often try and break it up into chunks. Each chunk will have an aim. Uh, and, but I'm kind of guided by principles, uh, guided by principles, and that's assisted by data. Yeah. Um, th- that's kind of a, a general idea behind how I try and make decisions when programming. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. What I thought would be cool go is to go through why concurrent training has often been seen as something that can't be done yeah because if you think about it people that might be new to sport might see someone that's a runner like Elliot Kipchoge and they think well he clearly he's not very strong but obviously a very good endurance runner and then you might have someone that's power lifter and they're just built completely different so you think okay how do you train for both if you wanted to because clearly both require different uh, physiological and biomechanical qualities I mean, just look at the differences between the, the two um, body shapes and all of that sort of thing. So, but then we see that, but then recently more and more people have become more generalist with their training. We're seeing CrossFit like, like yourself, where you need to be you know, pretty, pretty good at both endurance and strength sports. Yeah. Um, yes, they're not at elite in each bit, but they definitely have a good level of strength and endurance to take them to a certain area. Like, Crossfitters are now snatching 140 kilos. Yeah, that is that, that's big. And that back in the day, like weightlifting specialists would be happy with a 140 snatch. <laughs> so where's this? What was the original perception of concurrent training? Where the, where's the change happened? So has your before we go into like okay, what what's happened in the past? Like what what research has happened that has made people think this way um have you seen any differences in your approach based on what you've developed like you probably did much more endurance stuff in the army you come out this uh crossfit where you did more strength stuff even with the endurance has like your opinion on uh concurrent training changed i've never i'm there i've never obviously you'd look at the the two body types from an oh like an endurance athlete, like elite endurance athlete to elite powerlifter, weightlifter, mm. they're completely different. So you would look and be like, well, he's definitely not going to lift as much as him. That's that's just that's obvious looking at the looking at the two different types of people. But I've never really had an opinion on well, you can't do both. I've never really looked into it that much, like previously, until I've I got good in like more involved in CrossFit and mm. coaching myself, coaching some CrossFit athletes. Um, that I, I've done it because my all I did joining the army was run. I was a lot lighter. I was a lot um, slimmer. Uh, didn't re- I wasn't really strong at all. I just did what I needed to do to be fit enough for the military. Mm. and that was run run with some weight every now and then and that was that but then when I found CrossFit it was like well actually I need to get strong um, I don't know whether my the background of that or, or of, it's clear that the background of that actually has helped with my in, endurance moving into the sport of CrossFit mm. um, but to be able to get strong the focus was really tuned into getting stronger and then maintain the endurance. Yeah. Maintaining say the engine or the endurance stuff. I I 
honestly, since we come into lockdown, since we went into lockdown at the beginning of this year, I've run more than I have probably in the past two or three years. Mm. That's purely because gyms were out and I actually enjoyed to get back into it. But there wasn't, I didn't go out running and be like, oh, I can't do this. It, it was still there. It was like, it was lying there dormant for a little bit. Um, and once I got out for a few runs, blew the cobwebs off, it was all right. Hmm. So my opinion on it now is it, it is possible, but you can, you can do both. To what extreme, we don't know. We'll find out as we go through this. Hmm. But obviously it's going to be slower than going specific. Um, and how far you can actually go doing it together yeah. before the results start to decrease or just level off mm-hmm. um, is yet to be known, I guess. It's still, people are still developing it. Yeah, I mean... The elite CrossFitters. A lot of uh, research I did for this particular podcast and just trying to have an understanding of where uh, the history of concurrent training has come from. Um, has really made me understand that we don't understand it that well. Mm. So it started around the 1980s. Uh, There was a seminal seminal research came out in the 1980s by, have you ever heard of Robert Hickson? Yeah, yeah. I've I've actually glanced over a few studies since we decided to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think it's really... It's a really funny little story, I think, behind that. Yeah, I think they're the best... The best stories or, or when it comes to science is something's happened in their life and they've used that as a, as a research question and then gone on to, you know, develop a lab and research these ideas. Um, you know, like every day is your canvas and that allows you to answer, ask questions. That's what, we, that's what research and science will be about. So you've got Robert Hickson who was trying to impress his professor who was, I can never remember his name. Uh, John Holosky. Is it yeah, Holosky? I can never remember his yeah. name. I always want to say Sarkozy, but he's French. It's not him. Um, he was a, he's a top researcher in endurance exercise, isn't he? And uh, yeah, yeah. He's part of his lab and tried to impress him by joining him for his runs, like at lunch, and then realized that because he's a powerlifter, he kept going for these runs and his, his strength was starting to go down. Uh, and Halosky said, okay, when you get your lab, that should be your first study, which he ended up doing. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, he's, he's released this seminal work and found really quite some interesting, uh, interesting findings. Um, I've actually got one of the, if I share the screen, um, let's see. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've that, got that. this one. I, I found really quite interesting. So he got three groups, essentially. Um, one to only work on strength work. over. It was 10 weeks, as you can see on the slide. So, yeah, actually, I should probably explain for those who are listening to a podcast and not watching on YouTube. Um, we're currently sharing a screen of um, a particular graph, which was taken from the, uh, a particular paper, which gives like an overview of um, concurrent training from a molecular level. Uh, and it sort of documents the increases in squat strength, one RM squat strength over a period of 10 weeks between the different groups. So you had one doing strength, one doing endurance only, and then another doing concurrent training. Uh, And if you look at the slide, I mean, you can see that those that did the endurance uh, only barely increased which you kind of expect, right? Like they're only doing endurance exercise. So there's a slight increase there, but that's probably familiarity of performing the lift. It will go up a little bit, but that's not necessarily from physiological changes from the intervention. It's just because they're more familiar with performing a 1RM squat. And then you got the strength guys that um, really increased over the 10 weeks. And then you've got the concurrent group, which increased at a same rate as the other group, the strength group, but then it hit this like plateau around week seven and week eight. Uh, and almost to a point where they start to decrease their level of strength. And that led to this belief that you couldn't train for um, strength and endurance at the same time. You'd reach a point where you'd increase, 
but then you'd hit a plateau and then from then you start to actually decrease because there's some physiological processes which is um, inhibiting your ability to get stronger. Um, so did you have a look at what they did? Yeah, I um, yeah, I think and that, that's important to, <laughs> to mention that really because with the three groups, they all did different, well, the strength and the strength group and the endurance group trained differently. And then the concurrent group, they did all of it. Mm. Right. If I, if what I've read was right, that they did all of it. So they combined everything the endurance group did and the strength did yeah. in their 10 week program <laughs> um, in no standardized order, but within 15 they had 15 minutes to two hours rest between sessions, right? Hmm. As, as I was reading it. Yeah. So they've got double the workload. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that you've got That's to the point where you've got better and then you've started to tail off. And then you've got to start asking the questions, right? Okay. Have they plateaued and decreased because they've got to a point where they've overreached uh, and they are pretty much knackered and that's why they're getting weaker because you've you've trained them to a point where um the body has um been pushed too far or yeah. is it the fact that strength training endurance training um can coexist to a certain number of weeks and then beyond that they can't so that was kind of the the question that i think came out of it and you can you can see with the endurance stuff that they did was the first week they did 30 minutes where they were described as run as fast and far as you can. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that sounds horrible. I don't want to do that. And then no. they increased that volume, I think by week three and then all the way to the end, they just did 40 minutes where they had to run fast and far as possible. So they're at like VO2 max. So not only is it an endurance, but it's a real high intensity endurance. Yeah, and I think the strength was quite similar as well. Like they were going heavy for them. It was it was it wasn't as structured as you might think. It was going heavy a lot. It was um, based to increase leg strength and go as heavy as possible. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, was. it sounds it sounds great <laughs> to go to the gym and just try and lift as much as possible. Yeah, I think everyone should do it. But I, I, it sounds like um at to a point where it's it's gonna plateau anyway i mean you now we kind of see that as poor programming in a way yeah to add to the endurance they also did the, they did free cycle sessions the endurance group right yeah i think they mixed it up isn't it they um yeah. so some they, were doing three runs and then some were doing three cycles and yeah i mean certainly the modality of training that you do is going to have an effect isn't it yeah completely. Um, certainly the running will have like a large eccentric component because you're doing loads and loads of plyometric actions over and over again, whereas you don't have that on a, on a bike. So. Which could, which, um, which would be interesting with the results because they tested VO2 max, right? Mm. On that. And um, so even the strength group, they tested VO2 max on a treadmill and a bike, right? Yeah. And the strength group actually increased theirs by 4% on the bike, but with no change on the treadmill, that could, that's a, that shows maybe like with the, the actions of running, mm. um, they just wasn't, wasn't efficient. At it. I, I think it's, it's more about specificity. So the specificity of um, going through leg extension strength is similar to that on a squat as it is onto a bike like you're pushing down whereas running is all about developing stiffness um so it's a kind of a different quality which strength can help improve stiffness but stiffness is a skill in itself um and you know strength you know the the eccentric component of a squat is going to be different to the fast eccentric component of landing during a run so i wonder if that's that's that may have played a role in this uh, particular study, but certainly yeah. has affected um, sort of current training studies out there. Like it's everyone's seeing. So yeah, what I found, it seemed like from 1980 and almost to the point, I think up to 2005, people were still doing concurrent training studies and finding similar findings, but the findings were quite erratic because the length of the study was different. The, 
modality of training was different, how they measured improvement was different. So all of a sudden you've got, okay, some have seen no change and some have seen a change, but it might be really dependent on multiple factors, which you'd expect, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think the, the area is completely fascinating and because then all of a sudden when you're coming down to programming, there's a number of factors you need to take into account. And it's like, okay, if I change this, change this, change this, change this, how am I going to um, make this concurrent training as effective as possible? Um, a lot of, I think a lot of what they found is, especially in the studies going forward, is that when they did concurrent training studies, is they found it didn't really have a negative effect on endurance. So if you train for strength and endurance at the same oh, yeah. time, you can start, to, you can still improve endurance quite well. Like endurance will still improve. Whereas it's the strength that over time will start to be inhibited and, and possibly start to get, or, you know, progress no more. So it's like the strength or the hypertrophy side is what's particularly difficult to maintain when you're doing concurrent training. And if you, if you think about it, um, all long distance runners are doing concurrent training because they're doing some form of S and C to help with their endurance running performance. Like it's probably improving their running economy. So in that sense, you can really see why um, endurance endurance training isn't affected is actually enhanced by the, by the strength training. Whereas there might be some factors which actually affect the strength side. Um, and I think it's more hypertrophy. Yeah. I think it's, I think it affects strength, but I think it's more hypertrophy because there's certain factors that come into play, which may inhibit protein synthesis. And that's what's going to affect the ability of the, the body to repair itself so if you do like a huge endurance session and then you've got a strength session very nearby something's happening or acute responses from the endurance session is going to affect the ability of the strength session to do what it wants to do either you're neurologically tired or there's a point where um, certain signals are happening which is affecting the signaling process to get um, protein synthesis i think i've actually got Oh, I've got a slide, my PowerPoint slide. There we go. This one. Yeah. So here we have on the left. So for yeah. those that are listening on the podcast, I've got two pictures. I've got Elliot Kipchoge and I've got Eddie Hall doing his, um, doing his 500. Uh, that was his record, wasn't it? His 500. Yeah. So when you do lots of endurance training, there's going to be molecular signaling pathways, which essentially try and improve what's known as mitochondrial biogenesis. So all the physiological factors which improve with endurance running, so ability to deal with more metabolic and oxidative stress, ability to break down certain subjects and substrates and use for energy, those, those types of things. And then from the resistance training, you've got signaling pathways that occur which then improve protein synthesis, which is going to help with recovery and improve muscular hypertrophy, which in turn could lead to increases in strength. Now, there are certain components. I wonder if I can move that. There we go. There are certain components. If you start doing them at the same time, um, this on the right here, I've got several arrows which represent the fact that we are now doing endurance training and strength training at the same time. And this is like super simplified. Like I'm not a molecular um, biologist or physiologist. Um, this is kind of my way of uh, trying to break down what is happening in the simplest way and explain it to myself. So you have a number of uh, like certain signaling pathways. So with to help with protein synthesis, you've got something called the mTOR pathway. So, and then when it comes to the endurance one, you've got something called the AMPK pathway. Now there's several pathways which help with signaling, but these are the two main ones that seem to get the most attention in the concurrent training literature. Now they're both protein kinases. So they are um, 
enzymes which help upregulate certain uh, proteins and help with signaling to help with other certain situations which help regulate one for the endurance of mitochondrial biogenesis and the other is protein synthesis. And they're starting to find that once you start exercising, these molecular pathways get elevated. And for the endurance lot, you get an increase in this AMPK. Uh, and then if you then later on perform resistance training, you get an increase in the mTOR pathway. But because the AMPK is already elevated, that disrupts the ability of the mTOR pathway to regulate protein synthesis. So it inhibits it. Um, so that's where this is getting all the uh, attention. Yeah. Is what's kind of known as the interference effect. You've got raised uh, signaling pathways because of endurance running, which then inhibit the um, pathways that occur when you're um, performing resistance training. But it doesn't seem to be that affected the other way around. It seems to be the endurance training which affects the protein synthesis pathway, um, which I found quite interesting. And probably one of the reasons why the key thing that is um, seems to be most effective by this interference effect seems to be protein synthesis, which then in turn can lead to, you know, why we're seeing differences in strength. Um, let me stop the share. Yeah, definitely in sizes, right? That's why we see a huge difference in sizes. Mm. So. Yeah. But I, I think that's kind of like a general gist of like where this interference effect has come from. It's because one signaling pathway is affecting the other and inhibiting it. However, the more and more research that seems to come out shows that there are a number of things that can actually uh, affect it either differently or doesn't affect it at all. I even read not too long ago there was a particular study that showed that those that are sedentary can actually increase the AMPK um, signaling in pathway just by resistance training. So like the resistance training was providing the, uh, in, or increasing the, the endurance molecular pathways, which I think is crazy. Um, it just shows how the level of the athlete is such a big factor in determining if, um, concurrent training could actually negate or neglect or reduce the effectiveness of one type of training over the other yeah completely I actually listened to a podcast recently about this as well um, um, with um, I can't remember his name now but he was, Tiada, yeah. he's quite big on concurrent, concurrent yeah training. but it was, uh, it was with a the guy that runs Strong by Science by not sure um, Greg someone Greg someone it is mm. but he was saying that uh, he'd, he'd done some meta-analysis on some of the some of the studies and the, like the mTOR can can be the signaling for that can just be increased by eating oh really yeah um, so there's a, eating, yeah, so it really does. It comes down to the individual, doesn't it, really? And their their level of training yeah, and where yeah. they're at. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's good that more and more of these studies are coming out because we're seeing certain factors, how they affect this interference effect. Because um, if we have a, a rough idea of each individual factor and how they affect the interference effect, we can then manipulate them to then have the best effect. So clearly like one is going to be the level of the athlete. Um, I think sedentary athletes or people that are not used to training, like you could do concurrent training, they're going to improve um, in both aspects of yeah. training, regardless, because they're just, it's such a new stimuli to them. They're going to get better. Um, so it doesn't really affect it that way. So, you, okay, maybe it's more elite or more experienced lifters where it may affect more. So we might have to make some decisions around that. Um, but obviously the, the original Hickson study, 15 minutes to two hours in between. <laughs> like, no wonder, like you, you've lifted as heavily as possible. And then two hours later, you've, or vice versa, you've tried to run as far as possible. 
Uh, and I think I read a study how the AMPK signaling pathway can be elevated after endurance running for three hours. So if that's the thing that if it's elevated, it disrupts the mTOR pathway, you've got to just wait another two hours and then you might be okay. <laughs> so yeah. then it starts yeah. like okay, double sessions. Maybe that's, maybe that's the way to go forward, you know, endurance in the morning and then strength in the afternoon and you won't have that interference effect. Does, does it work the other way? Is, it, is there any, have you come across anything that, that mentions it the other way? So does, does the mTOR signal suppress the AMPK? Um, um, not that I've read, but I, I'm very aware that I'm not a molecular physiologist, yeah. so I may have missed something. The yeah, only but thing I have read... Maybe, maybe it's something we, like as we go through this, we might find a study. Yeah, yeah. I'll just keep keep reading. Um, yeah. it, it might be that it doesn't necessarily affect the molecular pathway, but there's going to be fatigue happening neuromuscular yeah. that would affect. Um, I have read that the elevation of the mTOR pathway after resistance training can last for up to 18 hours. So oh. if you had to choose between, okay, you're doing a double session that day, endurance and strength, best to do the endurance early in the morning because that will be raised for three hours and then down. So that when, by the time that you strength train, sort of back to baseline levels. Whereas if it was the other way around, you don't get that because the mTOR pathway can be elevated for, for much longer. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely have a little bit more of a read around, I think, to, yeah, to yeah. understand a bit more about how the, how it works the other way. Yeah. Cause that'd be quite interesting if, cause if there's anything that's come out that it may block the AMPK by then going into some resistance training and the signaling is then reversed and we then you then move into mTOR, but yeah, we, we, we can we'll, yeah. We'll keep reading for this because we both want to get us our best results anyway. So, and I, I think it's certainly this is now really important for us because we're planning on doing the strength stuff first and then the marathon in the afternoon, aren't we? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and we know, like, if you do like heavy strength training, like you said at the weekend, you did some heavy strength training and then went out for your long run and you just feel heavy. So, yeah. is that because neuromuscularly there was some neuromuscular fatigue and that's the reason? Or is it affecting like the signaling pathways or is it affecting something else? You know, it, it could be a multi multitude of yeah. things we don't necessarily know but we have to know about because we're going to be experiencing it yeah we well, yeah well, that's i i'm not planning to do double days at all no i to avoid to avoid in the interference as best as possible for me it's i'm having different days mm. so one session a day across different days it should be fine yeah, in theory, you should be fine, um, or the 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 interference effect should be minimised. And then, if you have any sort of decrease in performance, it's likely from other factors. Yeah, yeah, fatigue. Right, mate. That was quality. Yeah, that was really good, mate. It was good to get some ideas out there because, yeah, not being a molecular physiologist, sometimes you need to sort of just say it out loud just to truly understand it. Um, yeah completely mate concurrent training is something I've always looked into but I've never really taught um, well I'm a biomechanist so I don't, I don't I don't necessarily teach it but I definitely read up on it so now an opportunity to say it out loud has actually been really really good fun so right, I'm looking forward to season season oh, two mate. yes it's going to be great mate, it's, it's going to be hard but um, and everyone listening in like share join the journey more and more people are doing concurrent training and more and more people are doing challenges uh, that um, involve or will need current, current, concurrent training uh, to improve it. So it'd be great to hear what everyone's uh, doing, especially leading up to Christmas. Uh, Daryl and I will post as much training stuff up on the Progress Theory account. You, most of the time we sort of we post on our individual accounts and then tag progress theory. So all of it will then be sort of retweeted into that account. So there's going to be a good, a, a good 
a lot of videos which explaining what we're doing so definitely keep in touch and follow what we're what we're up to because um, essentially we're practicing what we preach so keep uh, definitely um keep following and just just spread the news we want to make sure that everyone or more and more people are dialing into the podcast so how how was your how was your first one enjoyed it yeah, yeah it's been really good mate um I, i'm excited for this the next 10 weeks now 10 ish weeks 11 weeks yeah so yeah, it's weeks. gonna be great fun Wait, it's going to go just, quick. Really, to see, it's going to be interesting to just see see what we're capable of. Mm. If you do it right, how far you can actually get. That's that's what excites me about training and exercise and fitness, and that's why I do it, really. So, um, Yeah, it's that feeling of seeing how far you can push yourself. Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely be posting as much as I can of everything I do, really. Um, and, yeah, we'll, put, we'll share, reshare on Progress Theory. Exactly. By doing that, it makes us accountable because people are now expecting it. Yeah. The way forward. It's like David Goggins' accountability accountability mirror. So <laughs> we've got an Instagram account for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everyone, we'll catch you in episode two, which will come out soon. So get training. <laughs>